hello, hello, Tamara here. Hey, before I dig into this incredible interview, which by the way, this is with Merit Khan in the comedy club that she built in her basement to help pursue her dreams. I think it's going to inspire you. Hey, before I dig into that, I just want to remind all of you that the overly caffeinated community is open for new members. I've seen some of you join. I'm so excited. Betty F, Jim A, thank you for being there. You're one of my first members and I'm so excited for that. And the first 250 get a special prize. I can't, can't announce the prize quite yet, but I'm excited to put it in the mail to you. So come and get it. So in the overly caffeinated community, that's where we've got the behind the scenes stuff. That's where I do some Q&A. Um, we get to know each other. There's a lot of engaging back there. And then there's extra stuff like from the podcast that I can't put into the podcast because we run out of time, but it's so juicy and so good. I don't want to leave it. So I'm putting it in the overly caffeinated community. So you get special content that other people don't get. You get to engage. You get a little bit of sneak peek and behind the scenes. You get to ask your questions. It's pretty awesome. So go join it. The link is in the show notes. All right. With that, I'm going to head down the stairs to Merit Khan's basement cellar comedy club, and we're going to get this started. Hello, everybody who can't see us. <laughs> I am in the most amazing place. So I am in Merit's, this incredible thing I'll let Merit talk about, but it's called the secret cellar. And this is a comedy club stage that Merit built in the basement of her home to pursue her dream, which I think says everything about why I wanted to have this conversation with you and have you on the show. I have known you for what we decided, fuck ton of years. <laughs> yeah, fuck ton of years. So that's what we decided. <laughs> 2008, yeah. which says when we yeah. met, 2023 now. Uh, and what I have watched is you not just build a business career, but I what I really want to talk to you about today is pursue this huge dream of having a one woman show on Broadway, if that's kind of the right way to say it. Yep. And I want to, I want to have some coffee with you and talk about that. I think it is, <laughs> I've been watching you. I mean, we haven't had the chance to really connect in a while now. We've just kind of, you know, text here and there and on Facebook, but I've been watching the journey and been so inspired by it. And I think everybody else is going to be too. So with that said, Merit Khan, and by the way, for those of you who listen, extra points, if you get why a Gondor which is my last name and a con together in the same room <laughs> is the coolest thing you'll ever experience in your life. Uh, I am K A H N. Whatever. It's still cool. Yeah, it is cool. Uh, Sci-fi geeks out there are like, yep, I yep. get it. I get it, ladies. <laughs> By the way, I will put the answer to why a gondor and a con in the same room is so stinking awesome in the overly caffeinated community. So if you're not a member yet, go join. Double benefit. You get to support the hard work and effort and time and money it takes me to put in these podcasts and go to basements and have these interviews. And you get to learn why Gondor Khan is kick-ass. Uh, so, so I want to start with where we are in your dream and work backwards, as I think I was telling you. So will you share, will you share your dream and like what you're trying to accomplish here? And then we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah. Well, uh, the dream is has always been to inspire people to see more is possible for their lives. And what I found it was interesting was that I was able to have that impact on people even more so in my comedy than some of the business things that I have, have done over the course of my 20 plus years in business. 
Um, so my current dream is that my life story is a Broadway musical <laughs> played by Sutton Foster. Sutton, if you're listening, hey girl, call me. <laughs> I got plans for you. Um, and and because of it, and and people in the audience would be inspired not by my life story, but that they would see and relate to my story and see something more is possible for their own life story as they leave the theater singing the snappy show tunes. Now, currently, the show is not on Broadway and it is not a musical, but, yet. you know, we're working toward that. And I think that dream started as a young girl going to Broadway musicals, sitting in the in the theater on a pillow because I couldn't see over the people in front of me. And, um, you know, it never really waned. I just, I was, and I found a way to build a career out of speaking on stages and that it fueled me and it was part of yeah. the expression, but I have found ways to get closer to the the real performer dream. So let me back up for a second, because you said you're not on Broadway yet, but you started but I'm gonna go back to childhood in a second, but just so to set the stage for people, no pun intended, or I guess intended. <laughs> um, so you did your one woman show, this one that you envisioned for the first time in Denver. When was that? That was November of 2019. Okay, so I saw that and yes. it was phenomenal. Like in my opinion, Broadway ready at that point, not oh, just because I know you. Thank you. But because I thought it was great. Um, and you were just in Vegas doing some comedy over the weekend and you're going to Chicago and New York. So you're making it happen. It isn't just a dream with nothing behind it. Right. You're making it happen. Yeah. Why do you think the the channel of comedy is your channel? Like, what what is it about that that allows you to express yourself and share? I think there's a couple of things. First of all, I firmly believe that laughter lightens the load you hold. Right? It's it's a message that I share with my keynote audiences. You know, I talk a lot to leaders and people in sales positions and they're they're carrying a lot of stress. There's yeah. always something stressful and it's a it's a way to relate to other people and people want to be around people they like and you know all of that those sales things. And so humor is the great equalizer. It also allowed me to share some things that in my in my life story were painful and difficult. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to rewrite my own narrative of my past through the lens of comedy, it was something that was easier to share with people. Mm -hmm. And they could see that, you know, if they could look at their own past in a new light and see, find the humor there, then it made everything just a little easier to to yeah. deal with. Um, so for those who don't know, Merit's built an incredible career in business and in sales training. Um, and we see you talk about keynotes and like, sure. work, that's what that is, just so that people know. Um, but I want to go back to something you said about it made it easier to share your story. What was it like putting the first show together and putting yourself out there and your story out there? scary as hell yeah. scariest thing I ever did um because it, well the original idea was I wanted to do 50 minutes of stand-up comedy for my 50th birthday mm. I was gonna That's gather right. some wrapped up to your it, birthday yes yeah, yeah. I was just gonna you know get a back of a bar gather some friends microphones stool bottle of water standard stand-up set 
And at that time, I'd had maybe about 20 minutes of stand-up material. So it was a stretch for me to even think in terms of that. And that, that idea came from a friend of ours who you know, had this idea of doing like, what are the 50 things I'm going to do before my 50th mm. birthday? And so I started writing my list, but there were only two things. One was I wanted to go back to Southeast Asia where I had been a backpacker at 24 years old. And this time I wanted to go back and travel in style. And the second thing that just got written on the page with no conscious thought was I want to do a one woman show. And I was like, where did that come from? And all of a sudden I'm looking at the page at these two things and I go, there are not 48 other things. There are just these two things. And then I just started writing. And actually, I really started writing it as a stand-up set. And I am sharing it with my father, who has a background in um, theater and has directed children's shows and all kinds of things. And he knows all my keynote stories and he knows my whole life story. He's got <laughs> a ringside seat for it all. And he goes, Merritt, I don't see this as a stand-up set. Mm. I see this as a piece that really can impact people. I see costumes and set. And I was like, okay, I have no idea how I'm going to pull that off. But I just started writing and he just encouraged me. He's like, look at it in in decades. Who were the people that inspired you? What made you laugh? What were the difficult things? What were the accomplishments? And the more I wrote inside of that framework, the more I looked at my whole life story and I saw, of course, I've bounced back after bad things. How did I do that? What did I tell myself? And what's fascinating about the whole journey is that the theme, like who I am today is really a journey back to who I've always been. That little girl, I mean, cheerleading, you know, performing in the fifth grade making musical, up rap songs. making up my own <laughs> rap songs. And it, like when they canceled the school musical in sixth grade and I was like, oh, hell no, we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And I created and I literally produced a show in sixth grade. And here I am, you know, 40 some odd years later doing the same thing. And so it's really fascinating to see my life in that cycle. So, okay, this is so good. I have so many questions. <laughs> so let me start with this one. Do you think that we need to go through the journey of life to get to back to who we've always been? Um, it seems like, and maybe this is age talking, right? Since now I'm 50 and you know, I've been there, done that, and I've seen the cycles and there's more to come for sure, but you've seen things that you don't, you're not able to see when you're 15, 20, even in your 30s. To go back to who you really are, do you think that's something we have to lose to come back to? Or is it because kind of we made a mistake along the way that we have to get back? You know what I'm trying to ask? It seems a little circular, but you made the comment of getting back to who you were. And I think for, I know for me, um, I'm in the same for different reasons and different story, but in a similar situation where I feel like I'm more myself now than I have been for the last 30 years, easily, if not longer. And I look at myself when I was 15 and I had no rules that I couldn't break. I had no like fear that could hold me back. I had, and then over time, I feel like that got chipped away and it came back to me. Mm -hmm. um, but it took a long journey. And I always envy people. I don't know if there are people out there, maybe this isn't true, who somehow always have it. And you're like, how do you, like, how did you never lose it? But mm. I'm not even sure what the question is now that I say that, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, you went through the journey and you said, well, I'm more, I'm more myself now. And I think for a lot of people out there, um, we want that. Like we want to go back to whatever that best self 
in that, not just childhood self, but I think it's our best self and where we feel the best, um, but we've lost it along the way. Yeah. I, it's such a great question. I've thought a lot about it, actually. I just, I think that in my case, I did lose who I was, you know, I was in a relationship, um, you know, that uh, was not healthy and I didn't realize it in while I was in it. And of course, you know, we, we choose people consciously or subconsciously because we have lessons to learn in life. And there's some part of that journey that was important. And I think had I not lost who I really was at my core and then found my way back, I may not have appreciated it Mm. the way that I do now. It's almost a gift in a, yeah. Like there are unfortunate things along the way, but it is kind of a gift to yeah, to and come I, back to it. And I do think, you know, like we're women in our 50s and Are you know, we? <laughs> we don't look it, just so you know, we're fabulous. Um, but I think there's, you know, there's a large part of our the last 20 years of our life, mm. our lives that have been about other people. Yeah. And Especially I find this you have kids yes, too, right? Exactly. Yeah. That primarily because, you know, yeah. you are really focused on bringing up another human being and you it's not that you don't do things that are important or enjoyable, it's just you're not the priority. Yeah. And now you know, and I find a lot of women in in and and really anybody in a transitional phase of life that you know, to now be able to deliberately rewrite my past narrative. And so I have to look at, okay, who was I in that unhealthy relationship? I attracted that into my life for some reason. It served me in some capacity. Um, And now what do I do with that? And, you know, whether it's a relationship or a career option or just there's so many things that we do that you know, are part of our journey. And I think for me, it was, it it, it was almost looking at my life as a template. Mm. Like, how can I help other people rewrite their own narrative so that they can have more control over their future? Um, and that's actually the the next phase of what I'm doing now is I'm actually introducing a workshop. So I went back and I looked, how do how did I write this show? Mm. Because the moment I finished performing that show in 2019, I knew my whole life was different. And I was starting to, I was going to enter the script into festivals and contests and I was going to, I wanted to perform again. And and I didn't write it with that in mind. It was going to be a one night only thing. Just there's just a birthday party, <laughs> like a fun Best thing to birthday do. Party ever, by the way. <laughs> and then as soon as I heard feedback from people yeah. like, "Oh, this belongs in Broadway," I'm like, "Broadway." Um, and and I knew I had to do it again. But then we had you know the pandemic, yeah. And so I was like, "Well, there, there goes that idea." But now that everything's open again, I I realized, okay. I not only want to do the show, but I want the show to serve people in a deeper way. So I I really masterminded and I outlined exactly how I went through that process because if I can rewrite my life story and it can rewire my future opportunities, I can teach other people how to go through that same process. So one of the mistakes that I know I've been very guilty of in trying to transition is uh wanting to wash away the past almost Mm. right whatever that's for good and bad but just like okay i'm now gonna 
you know, I'm going to reinvent myself or I'm going to take on this new challenge or do this new thing. So whatever happened to me before, right, I almost I almost turn my back on it. And it always comes back to haunt you or bite you or whatever analogy, right, people want to use. And I think it's a mistake. It's I've, I've learned it along the way that you got to agree with that. Yeah, I, right. Because it always like, okay, yes, you should ditch the baggage that's not serving you. But your life is your life at whatever, whether you're 18, 50, 90, like it, it is what it is. Um, but to appreciate what you've been through to help you move forward instead. And I just wonder if that's, is that how you, when you think about your life story and you kind of talk about writing the narrative, do you see that as like, I'm going to appreciate everything I've been through? Is it a, like, let me ask it differently. <laughs> how do you do that? How do you think about your past as you try to write the chapters in the book that you want moving forward? I have, I think the the difference is I'm not trying to, I don't want to ignore your past. I think, you know, to your point, anytime you just try to, you know, turn your back on it, um, it will come back to haunt yeah. you. I think the power really came for me in choosing how I remember things. Mm. And, you know, in, I think I really learned that from studying comedy. In comedy, the thing that people don't understand is it's comedians don't just sit down and write jokes it doesn't happen that way sometimes you know sometimes you get lucky but it doesn't usually happen that way it takes a lot of writing and then you you spot something in your writing that that kind of piques your interest or maybe it's a combination of words or something that happens and you're just like huh that's interesting and then you ask yourself some very specific questions what's funny about that? What's embarrassing about that? What's, what's crazy about that? What's, you know, and so you, you dig a little bit deeper and that's when, like, I'll give you an example. Um, in my divorce, so I had a, a difficult marriage, right? I'm not the only one who has a difficult, had had a difficult marriage and he didn't really do some of the things that he said he was going to do during our marriage. So it was, so I was writing one day about how frustrated I was during the divorce because he didn't do what he was said he was going to do. And then I was like, wow, what's crazy about that? What's crazy about that is that I am so optimistic that a man who didn't do something when we were deeply in love was going to do something. Game of expectations, <laughs> like, right? What? And so instead of making him the bad yeah. guy, I was like, how crazy am I? And so I was like, I think I have optimistic personality disorder. <laughs> like that may be a thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And all of a sudden that became like, well, where else does that show up? I mean, that shows up everywhere. Oh, sure. I can be at your office in 20 minutes when I live 40 minutes away. Like, sure. Optimistic personality disorder. Like it shows up everywhere. And now it's just like this running joke. So now it's in my set. Wow. Right. So I took control of this narrative. I could be frustrated. He's not doing what he said. That's so great. Or I can be like, oh, that's hilarious. Right. So yeah, yeah. I think there's always going to be a funny angle. Now, there are certain topics, certain things that I think happen in somebody's life. And I'm not sure I could help you find the funny in them. Yeah, right. Yeah. There's some tragic shit out there. Can we say that? Yeah. yeah. Um. So let's let's put that aside. Yeah. Right. There's certain things I just there's just nothing funny. However, for the majority of the things that are just happening in our lives, when you can control the narrative, you can create new opportunities because you're not hijacked by the victim feeling 
that you may have been telling you. So just, I just encourage people, be very deliberate how you retell your story. I want to dig into what you just said because I think it's so like, I just want those, mm, you know, those <laughs> moments. Yeah. Because uh, you said, don't be hijacked by the victim story. And that that's really powerful. So you just talk a little more about that because like, how do I not do that when someone, I don't care if it's a, a boss or a an ex-husband or a, I don't know, a friend, whatever, does something. And then like the stories in your head sort of, well, they did it because, right? They're pissed off at me. They're being an asshole. They fill in the blank, right? Like the imagination takes over and then the victim takes over. So how do you, how did you get yourself out of that? I think you have to inventory your beliefs, right? So you have to, and I do this in my sales work, right? Because if you think you're worth a certain amount of money, uh, you're going to make that amount of money. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> you know, you're going to correct. If you yeah. had a great year, then you'll be like, whoa, I'm good. I'm not that good. And you're going to self-correct. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, there's a, an exercise where you can really do an inventory of your beliefs. So for example, I had a belief a lot, for a very long time um, that you never really know somebody that you are in an intimate relationship. Like you will never really know them. How did I make that up? Um, I don't know. My parents were divorced, right? Like, like all kinds of things. Our right? stories come from places. Exactly. Yeah. So I looked at that and I go, all right, that belief is going to keep me in a relationship where it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm never going to really know a person. Or I can use that and go, well, maybe that makes me intensely curious. Maybe that makes me a little bit more open, a little bit more willing to be vulnerable because if I'm open, then I'm inviting and creating a space where somebody else can be open, right? So I can look at that belief and use that for good or use that for evil. Like somebody could do me wrong and be like, see, never really know somebody. I get to be right about <laughs> I'm right that. Again. I'm right. But you know, it costs me it costs me too much to be right. So I you have to kind of look and see. That really, what you just said, just hit home. It cost me too much to be right. Because I know that I really suffered from that for a long time of some other people in my life who I felt were always doing me wrong. And I was like, see, they're jerks, see. Yeah. And then one day I just decided I was done with that. I was like, you know what? Maybe they're just doing their thing and it actually isn't about me. Here's the thought. Yep. Right. And in making that transition, it changed. It actually changed everything for me because I was, it actually released their control over me that I was allowing. Yes. to have. Yes. Um, so I want to kind of, first of all, you just said something I want to dig into, and then I want to go into this cellar and talk about like <laughs> okay. building your dreams. Um, you said about your take inventory of your beliefs. And I love that. But then you just kind of slid in there. Like if you have a bad year, right, it kind of validates. But if you have a good year, you'll bring yourself down to what did you, what did you mean by that? I think that we have a set point like there's an amount of money maybe you decided you were worth. So we're both entrepreneurs. Yeah. We can make as much or as little as we want. We're not on a fixed salary yes. kind of situation, but even people who work in a salary world, it, there's still part of that that tracks. Um, I just, I think that I, well, I know for a fact, I had a conversation with my uncle. I was probably 20 something years old, just recent college graduate. And maybe, maybe a few years into my career. And I, he said something like hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money, Merritt. And I was like, bam, it just sort of got stuck in there. 
And then as I had a family and I liked luxury vacations <laughs> and like, you know, better clothing, like all of a sudden $100,000 wasn't a lot of money anymore, but I never restructured that belief. And I, when I went back and I looked over my, you know, early years in my career, I, I could see like, I went over that and then I would self-correct back down and made under that. And it, over time, it kind of averaged out to about that amount of money yeah. until I looked at that. And I was like, oh, well, that made sense in my 20s. Now I need to make a different number. And so I had to just, you know, you just have to kind of shift your beliefs, but it's, it's not easy. It's just, you have to, you can't change something that you don't identify first. You have to do that inventory and, and see what other beliefs may be holding you back. You know what? I call them um, hand-me-down beliefs. That's a, mm. that's, a yeah. good example. And like, like hand-me-down clothes don't always fit. Sometimes the belief that you were handed from someone else doesn't really fit who you are, or it fits, it fit at one time in your life. And then you get to redecide the belief to fit in your current life or the life that you're trying to create. I love it. I love the idea of doing an inventory of beliefs and really assessing which ones are hand-me-downs, which ones maybe you generated from your own experiences too. But man, like the idea too, that not only does it keep us from maybe, maybe our, whatever the set point is, keeps us from going too low, but it also keeps us from going, and it's not even too high, Yeah, higher. Yeah. And how funny that when we get higher, we think, obviously, this is my new standard, but actually we're pushing ourselves back down. So I guess I want to encourage the audience, I'm going to do this later, of not just what are my beliefs, what's what are my hand-me-downs? But also, what are my set points yeah. that I'm not even realizing? And how do I change those? That's a good one. Yeah, because, and, and I think it's a journey. Like, I, I've worked really hard in the last 10 years in particular to up my set points. Mm -hmm. And I think in my head, I thought, I'm going to wake up one day. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to feel really good. And my set point will change. But <laughs> like, I felt like every day I had to reinforce it because we're so pulled into our old habits and yeah. routines. Yeah, 100%. Um, so. I'm going to shift on us. All. This okay. is all so good already. I have to check my time. Okay. I want to talk about this incredible seller to win. And by the way, for those listening, um, two things. One is go to the YouTube channel because you'll be able, we're on the stage, so you'll be able to see that. But also on our overly caffeinated member site, you'll get some behind the scenes stuff. So that'll go on there. Um, talk to me about this because you started working on the, the your one woman show. You started doing some comedy right? You're still doing your business. You're still doing all yep. that incredible training and yep. rocking people's lives in the business stage. But then all of a sudden I see a post that says like, I'm building a secret seller. What do you think I should, I think it was a naming question. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Posted, uh -huh. Right. So talk to me about this decision to do something so bold as to take a home in suburban Denver <laughs> and turn it into a comedy seller. <laughs> what uh... was that? I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things that kind of got way out of hand. Um, oh, I was, really, yeah. really good. I just want to say for those listening, like it's got brick wall and a stage and lighting and tables with little candles. Like this isn't, she turned some couches around. Yeah. Like, no, this I, is she legit. opened you. This is the first time I've seen it because I haven't <laughs> had the chance to come to a show, but she opened the door from the main level. And I felt like I was going in a New York basement yes. comedy cellar. Like I used to in my twenties Yeah, when I lived there. So, okay. Good, good, good. good. I just needed to set this, like set, let, the stage. Yeah, set the stage for people. <laughs> Um, so it started because I was rehearsing my show on Zoom with my director in New York. Mm -hmm. And so I had my set set up in the basement and, you know, my laptop on a on a table. And, and then and I kind of said off the cuff, like, you know, it's 
it's a shame nobody can see like that was a really good run through like too bad nobody was here to see that and it and it's just sort of like huh I could put some tables and chairs down here and so I went on Facebook marketplace I found exactly the tables and chairs I was envisioning and so I bought them and then I thought well I need lights. I probably need sound. I need stage. And then it just kind of kept escalating. So the next thing I knew, I have a stage. I have seating for 52. Amazing. <laughs> I, I bought professional speakers and professional mic and a soundboard that I don't know how to use. And, you know, then I had my cousin do my logo and my Great. dad knew a guy who had a metal fabrication company. So he, you know, made put my logo in a metal sign. And, you know, it was just one thing after the other. And it just kind of snowballed. I, I don't know. I, you know what I think is it was a happy accident. I think it's one of those things that you just follow your passion. You know, I just, I didn't have any plan for this. I don't, I don't know where this is headed. I just knew I wanted to be around comedy. I wanted to create, I think what's been fascinating about it is I created a space for the people and the opportunities to come to to come to me. And I created a space, like I have another, a lot of comedian friends. And so I have now a space for them to come and do what they love and for my friends and their friends to come and enjoy being, you know, at a show. And you know, that's just, that's been, it's been a lot of fun. I don't know where it's going to lead, but I just know I feel really good when I'm in this space. So here's what I love about this. There's actually two things that I want to point out. One is, I think there's a lot of power in doing something that brings you joy, even if it's not your main job, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it it is turning into like over time, right? You'll be on Broadway and all that's going to happen. <laughs> but when you started all this, I mean, you're still doing the business speaking and the, you know, the keynotes and the workshops. Yep. So I think though, that what we sometimes miss is that doing the things outside of our day-to-day that bring us joy, that all ripples into, I think everything else that we do. And when Absolutely. I remove the thing that I love for my life, everything else tends to suffer, even, even if they don't seemingly have something in common. Have you found that since really delving back into comedy, because you weren't doing this when we first met, right? Like you were funny. You're always funny. Thank you. But like you weren't doing it the way you're doing it now. Correct. Have you found that now that this is a top priority for you, not just that you're gaining success, which you are, but that you're spending time on it, energy and, you know, mind space on it, that that's translating into everything else too? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things uh, I had done on my career side is, um, I do a lot with emotional intelligence, right? So I'm certified in that and I do a lot of assessments on that. And one of the top things that makes people successful and, and you know, high in emotional intelligence is called self-actualization. And that's really like being happy with who you are, but being able to and willing to grow mm-hmm. and, you know, lean in. Like you have to have more that you're about than just your your job. And so I think- for me, anytime I'm performing, making people laugh and like, that's my thing, yeah. then I'm feeling my best and I have more to offer other people and I, and they are more yeah. attracted because I'm lit up about my life. And that could be anything. You could be into fly fishing. If you're, you know, whatever you do when you're excited about it and that's bringing you joy, you, that filters in everything everywhere else. So it's interesting. So for me, there's two things. 
one is CrossFit, as you know, yep, like yep. I'm a bit of an addict. <laughs> I drank the Kool-Aid and I love it. And it was out of my life. I'm just now really back in the way I used to be. Yeah. And I feel like a second time beginner, which is awesome in its own way. But when I start my day with that, my whole day goes better. It doesn't matter what happens. Yeah. doesn't matter if I have a horrible day and clients are angry. That doesn't happen. I love you all clients. But if it <laughs> happens, right, like it doesn't matter because I just tackle the day better. But the other thing I found, we were talking about this offline, is um, I put a pause on the podcast for a while. While I was trying to figure out what to do with it. But I love interviewing people. Like it juices mm. me up to hear other people's stories and to put a spotlight on other people. And I miss that. And now that I have that back, all my other work is better. Yep. Exactly. And, and parenting is better. Like everything seems to be better. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that you said that I, I really appreciate that I want to make sure we don't overlook is that you said um, that, you know, you built it in your basement that you weren't sure what to do with it, but it kind of like you realized there was an opportunity and other people could come to you. But what I love about it is I think if there isn't a playing field for you to be on necessarily, and it's not that you were getting no's, but you were just kind of figuring this stuff out. You just kind of created your own playing field oh, yeah. by doing it in your basement. Yeah. And I don't know if this is totally true. So I might botch this story, but I was told that the reason Goodwill Hunting got written by Ben Affleck and um, Matt Damon was because they were tired of not getting acting jobs because by the time it got down to the people who were new in LA, right, all the good jobs have been taken yep. because first it goes to the people who everybody knows, right? And you go after, and then there was like the second level. And then so by the time they were getting scripts, there was kind of nothing left for them. Yep. So they created their own story. Is that true? Um, I have heard that story as well. Yeah. I can't quote a source. So, <laughs> you know, I also don't know if it's true, but I have heard that. Yeah. And there's many stories like that. Yeah. Um, Whoopi Goldberg has a story like that. And she did a one woman show. She was a stand up comedian, not getting the, you know, the time and did a one woman yeah. show. And that gives you a different stage. So, um, now I forgot the original question, but well, we're just talking about this being like creating your own playing yes, field. Creating your own I playing think field. it's really bold what you did to create an entire comedy club in your basement. And again, I don't think it's because someone said no and you're like, well, I'll do it myself. But it was this I can create I can create a stage and I can do what I want to do on my stage. Exactly. I really wanted a space where I could perform my show on yeah. a regular basis. It's like you know, you hear about having a Vegas residency and you know that show is always going to be there. And so I thought. I don't want to move to Vegas or, yeah. you know, New York necessarily, but I was like, well, I, I'm just build my own residency. And I love it. That's kind of how that happened. So what would you tell people who are out there thinking, okay, I have a dream and, and maybe that dream is to be the best fly fisherman, or mm -hmm. maybe that dream is to be an actor or singer or whatever. Um, and they want to pursue it, but maybe they're not going to, they're not going to drop everything to go to LA or they're not going to be able to spend every waking moment on it, but they want to make it happen. How, what advice do you have to them? I think you have to speak it and behave it into existence. So, you know, I, I knew I wanted to perform my show more regularly. So I created a space where I could do that. Um, that didn't rely on other people, by the way. Like I think exactly, that's the power. In yes, it. exactly. And, you know, I, th I think there's always going to be opportunities, even if you're in the smallest town with the, you know, with very little network, there's always something. So, you know, in my case here in Denver, we have a great comedy scene. And, but then also, you know, I looked for other opportunities. So I just got back from Vegas and I was part of the World Series of Comedy Festival. And, and I, I put myself in a situation where I was going to meet other comedians mm -hmm. in other cities. Cause when I go and travel there, I want to be able to call somebody and go, Hey, can you get me on a showcase? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I put myself in a position where I could meet people in the industry, agents, managers, people running other venues. And I just ask a lot of questions. And then I changed my, my marketing, my messaging to really speak to the future that I am creating. So instead of just introducing myself as an entrepreneur, business owner, author, keynote speaker, I started speaking myself to about myself to other people as, you know, I'm also a playwright, a producer, and a performer. And so while I am not yet on Broadway, <laughs> and there's a long road to, to getting there, possibly, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a short road. But I think you have to speak into existence where the future you're living into. And, and then you ask yourself, well, what would a Broadway performer be doing? This is actually interesting because I realized, and this was a new realization, maybe in the last couple of months that I was spending my days as, you know, talking as if I was going to be a professional performer but but day to day running my calendar mm -hmm. like a sales trainer and so we, we share examples yeah of kind of how that plays out so I get into my office at the appropriate time in the morning and I start making my calls mm -hmm. and I'm doing my bill all of my business stuff and I was like well at the end of my day I'll rehearse my show because that felt like well it's not really my day job and da 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 mm -hmm. What I realized was that I need to structure my days the way that the person I am becoming would structure their days. If I am really on a path to being a professional performer, then my days, it's important that I exercise and I take care of my body because my body is the thing on yeah. stage. It's important that I run through my show every day. If I'm saying to, to the world, I'm a professional comedian, I better be writing every day. Mm -hmm. So I had to reorganize how I do my typical day so that it really matched up better. Now, right now I'm kind of in this hybrid thing because I'm, I still love my keynote business. I love yeah. training companies and I, and you're very I, good. thank you. And I, you know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like I spent 20 some odd years getting good at that. Like, let's keep doing that. But that doesn't mean I can't perform my show and write comedy. And I think that all of that makes me a better workshop presenter, keynote presenter, because I'm bringing those same stories yeah. and all of that to my all aspects of all stages that I work on. Um, but I, I definitely had to reorient my thinking about how I spend my time to align with the habits and behaviors of somebody who's really a professional performer. So what a great exercise. Again, like I love tangible takes takeaways, you know, when we get into especially the mindset stuff. What a great idea. First deciding, well, who is it I want to be? Who am I? And part of that maybe, and I think in both of our cases has been going back to who was I yeah. when I was my, you know, in my childhood and who am I really at my core, deciding that, but then aligning your calendar with yeah. that and yeah. your actions with that. And I think that's where that's where it starts to feel overwhelming and frustrating as we decide, okay, I'm going to be this person, but our day-to-day -day actions don't actually line up with who we want to be, but that's actually under our control. There's some things that aren't meetings, right. whatever, but generally, right, we have control over how we behave every single day. And if we don't make the things that we want to have happen a priority early in the day, I think, I think there's a key to something about early in the day. Okay. Um, it's never going to happen. And then it's just a dream that never 
it never it just never happens well and then part of that is like okay which comes first do you shift your behaviors to align with the dream or do you have to first believe that that's possible mm. so that you would actually allow your behaviors like if I said to myself oh, oh my god Merritt Broadway are you kidding me like do you have any idea like you're not a trained actress you didn't go to all the schools yeah. that takes a shit ton of money network I don't have I don't know like uh, there's a hundred thousand reasons but I don't know like most of the good things that have happened in my life I've created that opportunity mm -hmm. I wrote a show no one asked me to do it no one I, I like it just I just wrote a show and then I performed it people liked it and then I went to the next thing how can I do this again and yeah. and you just kind of keep pulling back layers um but if you don't you know if I if I said yeah but no one will like it or yeah but that'll never go anywhere then I may not have taken that action I think you don't have to know how it's going to work out you just have to have a little bit of trust and yeah. just do it for the for the sake of doing it. And I think it, kind of what you were saying there is you have to believe it's possible for you yeah. and trust that you may not know how and the how may not even be right in front of you in the moment, but you have to believe you have to, it's your set point. It goes back to your set point, right? Yes, so yeah, you have yeah, to have yeah. your set point in the right place. Yeah. And then you can figure out what are my behaviors. I do think there's a little bit of a chicken and egg in it. Like I found that sometimes if I'm trying to elevate my set point, I need to do actions every day that that person would do. And then I believe it more and more. Like, yeah. I don't think I wake up one day with a different belief. For right. me, that's not how it works. Right. Like, I have to then decide what are the actions that that person who would believe that thing, how would they behave? Yeah. And then, in fact, it's why I started making my bed years ago. I know it sounds so ridiculous, <laughs> but I used to never make my bed. I was like the messiest kid ever. <laughs> but now I make my bed every morning because when I was trying to change my set point, I'd be like, well, what would a successful person, how do they behave? Well, they would make their bed because- yeah. That's what you would do, right? That's what a successful person does. I don't know where I got it from or why that's a belief, but I started making my bed. But that little thing started to change my belief of like, who am I? Well, I'm a very successful person. Like I win at what I do. There you go. This basement space has been a real lesson in that. Like I was really out of my element and all the tech things. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, I'm just going to get tables and chairs and I'm yeah. good to go. But the sound system, the lighting system, the soundboard, building the stage. Like I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And so I just asked my network and, okay, you, my friend Arlene sings in a band. Okay. Can you help the guy who does your sound and lights, like talk to me on the phone and tell me what equipment to get. And they would, you know, talk over me. But the more I asked questions, the more I just put myself in that world, the more I learned. And then I started being able to ask better questions. Mm. Am I going to be a tech expert? No, but I know enough to hire the right people now. And yeah. I want to back up into one thing you just said, because okay. I think it is critical to success, which is uh, you talked about asking questions and not knowing, and then asking better questions. That to me is at the foundation of a lot of things that could yeah. go better for all of us if yeah. we did that. Um, I was just on a call this morning with a client who I, I've done a lot of work with other departments and with this client, but not this one. And uh, sometimes he would say things that I felt like I should know, right? Because I'm in business too. Like I'm a leader too, right? I should know. But I've learned to just back up and go, you know what? And, and even preface it this way. And I don't know if you have a certain way of asking, but just saying, look, I don't want to be assumptive. And you know, like, I, I don't want to assume I know where you're coming from. So when you say this, 
what do you mean? Because I found that if I don't say that, I get in trouble, right? Because yep. I assume something's actually wrong <laughs> most yeah. of the time. But then that allows me, to your point, to ask better questions and dig deeper and deeper. And I think we have to not be afraid to to play or and be new and know that it's okay to not know what you're talking about and just be like, hey, I don't, maybe this is a naive question, but I don't, I don't understand this. I think that's the mark of a real expert is asking the right questions. And I've spent my career teaching people how to ask better questions. And I love that, you know, I don't want to be assumptive here. Help me understand what this means in your world. And I've never had anyone say, you should know that. Yeah, exactly. I've never had anyone be like, oh, tomorrow, we're not working with you ever in my life. Right. Exactly. And I've, and this is like people who run billion dollar companies and they've never shut me out. In fact, they've been like, no, allow me to talk more. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the mark of a real expert is asking the questions that make people think deeper about their topic or their challenge or, you know, what's going on. And, and I think for me, it's also the, the, the better questions I have asked, the more I feel comfortable and confident that I'm still learning and growing. Mm. Like, the question I would ask now about, you know, connection, like connecting a new mic, I had a new mic, body mic that I use for my show and has its own receiver and I have to plug that into the soundboard. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and then I just stopped and thought, okay, all the other things that you didn't know how to do, you asked some questions, you, you figured it out. And so I, I noticed that I was asking better questions and then it just felt like, oh, you know, two months ago, I wouldn't have even known to ask this question. Mm. Now I'm like, oh, yeah, got it. I feel like questions are the fuel that move you forward. Questions change everything. Yeah. And we have to be okay if the question that we're asking is wrong, you know, like, or if it doesn't get us what we're looking for, or I've had people say to me, well, actually the question you want to ask is, and I used to take it really personally. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I asked that wrong question. But they're just helping me get better yeah. and, and understand deeper. And you're you're so right. So I want to loop it back to the one woman show and get a little personal with some of the stories for a minute sure. before we run out of time. But before we do that, um, you have some shows coming up and I want to make sure you have a chance because we're gonna we're gonna make sure to air this, I think, next week. Okay. So that it goes before the show. So talk about that so that I don't want people to miss this because if you're in any of those cities, you need to go. It's <laughs> so-, so good. Thank you for that. Uh, if you are in Chicago, anywhere in the Chicago land area, October 5th through the 8th, I will be performing at the Den Theater in Chicago. Great space. And there still are some tickets available. So that's exciting. And you can get to that by meritcon.vip forward slash Den Theater, or you can just go to the Den Theater.com website and find my show that way. And then in uh, no- November, November 18th, which is a Saturday night, I will be performing at the Manor, uh, the Manor Club of Pelham. And you can go to their website as well, or you can go to MeritCon.com and find your way to my theater page. And there's um, a page all dedicated to the tour and tickets. And then they'll be adding new new cities coming soon. So send me the links and then I'll put them in the show notes Perfect. too, so that people can go directly to both of those shows Great. and to your website so that if they listen to this later, they can loop back because you'll have something Thanks. else amazing. Going <laughs> um, so I'm really intrigued as a friend and I don't know, a woman trying to figure out her own life at 50. I feel like I'm going through a little bit of a midlife crisis. Like, who am I? What am I about? What's, <laughs> what's the next chapter of my life? 
I am intrigued by this idea of looking at your story, like really taking a look at your story in your life. And you did that in creation of your show. Um, and I love this idea of kind of what I'm really getting out of this is thinking about it in a way that not rewrites it, but writes it in a way that serves me mm -hmm. um, versus being the victim and all those. When you sat down to write your one woman show did and you dug into your life, did anything come out that surprised you or kind of was an aha moment for you? And and I, I'm kind of asking, because I think we all have these moments and these stories in our lives that are um, really pivotal. and We don't even realize it in the moment until we take some time to reflect. So mm. as you did that, like what, what came out for you? <sighs> so much I know there. This is like the big, this is the couch question. Um, there's so much there because, you know, my life story, like all life stories has ups and downs. It was a roller coaster yeah. ride, um, you know, with childhood illness and divorce and, you know, there's, there's, uh, homosexuality in my past story. There's, you know, from one of my parents, there's like, a you know, there's my own divorce, there's raising a child, there's, you know, other illness and, and, all lots things. of all the things and dating an A-list celebrity was thrown in there. Why not? Um, <laughs> We're about to it out of me. Um, Outtakes. Yeah. So I don't know that what surprised me, I would say what surprised me once I really looked at my life, my entire life story in, in a way that I could share it through humor was that, well, two things. Number one, there was always humor there, mm. though in the moment it didn't feel funny. So I've come to learn, I think this, one of the overarching messages is, you know, they say that tragedy plus time equals comedy. And my point is nobody said it had to take a long time. Mm. And I so that. I, <laughs> yeah, I, thank you. Mm. And I, I think that's, what I have discovered now, I think, I think it didn't really happen so much in the stories of my life, but in the realization that now that I'm reflecting on all of that, I have such a, I have a much better access to getting to the comedy sooner. Mm -hmm. And so things don't really ruffle me the way that they used to, like I would agonize and, you know, just awfulize about a lot of things and now I'm like oh that's gonna be a great joke one day soon <laughs> <laughs> you know, like huh and it could be anything right the biggest things the littlest things so that was something and I also think just looking at my whole life um just the realization of I've always bounced back after big things and I've I've all those things served me mm. I think fundamentally we probably all know that but it's hard to know it in the moment. And and I just think that I, I've always been a writer and I've always processed things like that. And performing it was a different level of vulnerability. I think that too, like there were things in my life that I remember wanting to keep secret, mm -hmm. right? It just, and the more I kept things secret, the more it was just a burden for me and the more it kept other people at bay and that self-fulfilling prophecy, that yeah. belief I had about, you can't really know a person. I realized 
I was doing that to other people. Like no one would really know me if I kept those secrets. So I thought, what if I just lived my life like an open book? And I just shared my secret. But if I shared things through the lens of comedy, it didn't feel so hard. It was like, I'm laughing at this. Also, there's something about humor that connects people in a way that just a tragic story, and not saying it's tragic, a secret story, whatever it is, doesn't. Yeah. You know, there's something that just opens you up in a way. Will you um, share one of your secret stories with us I, now? I, will. I was going to ask. I know, oh, I know. You saw it on well, my face, Merritt. I'll, I'll share the bigger one. Like yeah. the, I, I talk about my gay dad, growing up with a gay dad story. I do that a lot for my comedy stage. But I'll share one with you that I don't really share unless it's in my show. And I don't, I haven't talked about this on podcasts or anything, but oh, this is a treat. Guys. <laughs> Seriously. So um, in 2010, I was diagnosed positive for the BRCA gene, which uh, BRCA1. And that means that my risk of breast cancer was 87% and getting ovarian cancer was like, there was like a 57% chance I would get that. And um, you know, that was like, oh, well, what am I going to do about this? Like wait around and get cancer? Or it was like, it seemed like a foregone conclusion. And I, I remember, um, calling my dad and saying, you know, the doctors say I'm going to get cancer. And my dad said something to me that he had said my whole life, which was, well, who chiseled that over the door? And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> um, because from his perspective, it's not a foregone conclusion. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Now, everybody has illness in their history, right? You're around this planet long enough. You're going to deal with something. Everybody's yeah. got their thing. Um, I started to look at it like, wow, how lucky am I that I got a, basically a crystal ball? Like, mm. And so I started looking at it like, this was a gift to have this information. Now I can do something. So I did all these preventative surgeries. I did a preventative double mastectomy. I did a total hysterectomy, but I had to, I had to, I had to use that comedy lens to help me deal with those situations. And so I started to look at my double mastectomy as a you know, boob job covered by insurance. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's great. Um, unfortunately it was extra to reconstruct your nipples. So hello, everyone in podcast <laughs> land. I don't have any nipples. <laughs> like that's not something you hear every day on a podcast. That'll be in your like, feel like this trailer right here. <laughs> You're going to put that in the opening trailers. Hi, everyone. I don't have any nipples. Oh, I'm going to listen to that podcast. <laughs> um, you know, um, and so now, you know, it didn't seem like a big idea deal at the time I was married, you know, like, I was like, who's going to see these things anyway. He seemed to be okay with it. But then I got divorced. I'm like, how do you date without nipples? Like, this is maybe an issue. Like, I should probably tell people. And so I would be making out with someone and be like, I should tell you something. I've had some surgery. Now, I don't know. Like, maybe in today's day and age, you should probably be more specific. <laughs> That's There's a lot of surgeries happening. But see how I, I turned that, you know, difficult yeah very difficult situation but now we're laughing about it yeah now i could have told you i have no nipples and make it be like this oh my god tomorrow <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> and i could be all weepy about it or i can share it through comedy mm. and every time i share that story there has always been someone in my audience that has come up to me afterward and said i did that same surgery wow i did that same thing 
and I, or I, I had a guy in my last recent show, he said, my wife just went through that mm. and talk about touching people. Like- yes. Yes. And so it just, you know, <laughs> it's hard, believe me, you know, I'm like getting on a stage going, okay, everybody, hello, packed theater of 200 people. Like that is not something most people share. But the more I was vulnerable, people walked out of that theater and saying to me and and other to other people, like, wow, that was pretty vulnerable. Maybe I could be more vulnerable in my life. What could open up for me? And and now it's like, I'm not, I'm not stuck with that story. I rewrote it. I made it funny. And that opens up everything. It is so funny. <laughs> and I'm gonna say I have nipples, and that story <laughs> still relates to me. Um lucky. <laughs> Some days depends on the thickness of the material of your bra. So, um, well, I feel like we're headed down a whole different podcast. <laughs> was that but, the story you were yeah, thinking I was going to share? No, I, well, I didn't know what, but no, even though I knew that about you already. Okay. So we talked about it, right. but yeah, I'm glad you did because to me too, I think we all have something that we are insecure about. So whether it's not having any nipples or having stretch marks or feeling like our butt is too big or feeling like our voice isn't confident enough when we speak or we all have something that we're trying to hide yeah and um what i find really inspiring about the story you just shared is that it makes it okay to put that out into the world because it turns out we all have something exactly. and the more you share the more the people around you share and don't you find like now that you've put this out into the world as this funny almost kind of like not big deal thing that's what it becomes Right. Yeah, so you exactly. get to, you get to own the you get to own it more than if you like hide behind it, you know. Oh yeah. When I first started dating and I was like, oh my God, how do I tell people this? Like what like what how do you like talk about this? And I made it so significant. Well then yeah. it was significant for yeah, me. Yeah, you make it as bad as it exactly it's, it's again that self-fulfilling prophecy. Yep. And so the minute I took the edge off and was just like, it's funny now if I'm, you know, if you're interested in dating me, I'm like, can you please just see my show first? That'll catch you up on my entire life story. And then we can go from there. And I don't have to do all that other stuff. Like, you know, I'll take an hour and tell you about my story. You take an hour and tell me about yours. We'll get caught up and that'll be great. But, you know, it's just, and honestly, if you don't have a sense of humor about your past, like, what's the point? Yeah, like, We all have to lighten up a little bit. And I think that's the magic of the show. And and now it's how I live my life. It's just mm-hmm. my, you know, my core belief is, you know, just you can rewrite your past to rewire your future. Ooh. Thank you. Um, you is like that, that a keynote? That's, that's, that's you the, should be. That's the message. Well, that's uh, one of the lessons of my show, but it's it's also the the core premise of the workshop that I'm leading with people who ideally have seen my show first and then they see something for themselves in rewriting their own narrative not necessarily to perform it on stage in front of thousands of people but but to just have that new narrative for themselves and so in fact in that workshop we do the the beliefs inventory and um you know just some other things I have this lifeline exercise where you really map out the timeline of your entire life into decades, kind of like what I did. And then you, you plot the highs and lows. And then, you know, from there you, you rewrite the low points so that you now see them as a high. So I want to ask your advice on something. It's really advice on behalf of kind of everybody listening. 
one of the things that I found is when I've decided to take a leap and just be who I am, do what I need to do, go after that big dream. Uh, my inclination is to think that everybody around me is going to be super supportive and excited and push me forward. But I found that oftentimes when you decide to, and this is true for people I've worked with and just know in my life, when you decide to go big and bold, right, and to kind of step out of the lane, maybe that you've been in, it actually highlights other people's insecurities. Like it actually brings out their mediocrity and their insecurity. And without meaning to, because I think intentions are usually good, they try to pull your big toe back down because what you're doing really only puts up a mirror to what they're not doing in their life. Mm -hmm. And again, well-intentioned, sometimes it's the people closest to you. Um, and I think you and I are both very fortunate that we have a small group of people in both of our lives who are very supportive, but I've also experienced the other side. So when the person listening out there decides that they want to build their cellar in their basement, <laughs> like whatever it is for them, but they experience that resistance from people around them, what's your advice to them to help them push through that? That's such a great question. Did you experience that, by the way? I, I have yeah. experienced that. And it's subtle, right? Yeah. It's very subtle. The it people, like jabs at you. Yeah. The, you know, there's, there's four, I, I am fortunate. I have more people around me that are like, you go girl, like you got this. Yeah. But there are those people that will subtly be like, seriously, Merritt Broadway, like, mm. Or yeah. you sure you don't want to be just doing this thing that you've been doing well for a long time? Um, I think that, you know, I always just kind of wish someone well, and then I, I pull back a little bit. I, I think it is hard for people who are feeling stuck in their own life, whether it's a relationship or a career choice or whatever it is, or body image or it could be anything right they're they're stuck and so when they see somebody else moving forward it does amplify for them that they're not and i in my mind i i think that the best thing i could do for them rather than trying to like help them see like you got this too i think the best thing is to lead by example mm -hmm. and to you know have a maybe take a little bit more distance while I'm doing my thing. And then when they see that it's worked, then maybe that example shines a light mm -hmm. for them. Like, well, maybe I really could do that. Um, but I do think you have to be very deliberate. You know, success is an interesting thing. And uh, the, the people that are, there are people that will be happy for you and people that will be, yeah. you know, jealous. And you just have to spot those people and spend a little less time with them. And I think it's kind of alluded to with what you're saying is don't take it personally because it's actually not about you. Correct. It's about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, exactly. and to treat them with kindness. Like I I, um, I find that the people that kind of, it's like death by 10,000 cuts, mm -hmm. right? It's like these little things that kind of come at you. I First, you have to recognize it to your point. But then also um, I try to treat them with kindness, recognizing that, it's not about me. It's about them. And I'm not going to change who they are. And I'm not going to convince them that my dream is the best dream possible. I have to convince myself, first of all, and I have to make it happen. But it's okay. Like that doesn't make them bad people just because they're not on the bus out of right. the gate. I, I just think that, you know, there's season. I kind of look at like there's seasons for things and there's seasons for people. Like mm. sometimes 
I just need to kind of go, okay, we're in a season where that relationship not only is not serving me because I have some big goals and they're not supportive, but it's also not serving them for me to be as present for them in it. Yeah. And so let's kind of take a little break. It's not like anything I'm saying, look, listen, well, let's, let's regroup in 90 days. Like I'm not, it's not that, you know, upfront, but I just kind of, you know, dial it back a little bit and, you know, it's not like you're ignoring or like dropping a friend necessarily. And maybe it is, but you know, maybe it's just not the season for them right now and can Mm -hmm. cycle back. But I do think, you know, agree with them, treat them with kindness. We're all going through our own things. You never, going back to my original belief, you never really know what's going on with someone, right? Like true though, everybody's got their own thing. And, you know, all I can do is live my best life, live the example, which again, it's just about, I, I just want to be somebody when at my celebration of life one day, hopefully far in the future, I want people to be talking about like, I saw her do that thing. And that gave me inspiration or permission or whatever the word is to, to pursue my own thing. And if there's a bunch of people saying like that, saying something like that at the end of my life, that's what I was here for. Oh my gosh, that's my dream too. Let's go make those dreams happen. Yeah, girl. We are. So, <laughs> I would say left. We are, damn it. We are. Um, okay, so I know we have to wrap up. I can't even believe it. But what's your final what's your final piece of advice for people listening? You know, if, specifically around, all right, I'm gonna up my set point. I'm gonna take inventory. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about my past so that I can rewire and like go into the future the way I want to. What what's your advice for them out there, especially if they are maybe suffering from a little bit of fear and fear goes with this, right? We can't, I always hate it by the way, it's a little bit tangent, but I think it's important for people to understand. You can't actually be fearless. It's hardwired into our human design and it's important. Um, And people who do things aren't fearless. They just push through fear. And I think sometimes we set ourselves up for failure by saying, oh, I got to be fearless like merit, but you're not fearless, right? (laughs) Not at all. Right. So (laughs) how do do you get through that? Give give some advice on that. Because you've done a lot of things that I think are really like pushing through fear. <laughs> oh, all right. I think it, it it ties back to some of the things that we talked about earlier. Like, you know, if, if you, oh, there's so many things I want to say to wrap it up. Uh, first of all, be open to new possibilities. Like you want other people so in in sales as an example you want other people to be open to the solutions you provide so you have to be open to a new possibility for yourself and for them like mm-hmm. being bringing an open mind is i think a really key element to all of this of what's yeah. possible for yourself and so that that's you know you there is no fearless there's action in spite of it, like we just talked yeah. about. But I think if you close your mind to what is possible for you, then there is no opening. So you can be fearful of, you know, is this going to work? Am I going to be successful? But if you just create just enough of an opening in your own belief, like, well, I don't know how to do that, but I could figure it out. Mm. 
I don't currently have a network of people that know how to produce a Broadway show, but you know, I'm going to put myself in positions where I might meet somebody who will mm-hmm. t- lead me to the next person or something. I think that's a really important piece is just being open to. Um, and that's, that's a message that kind of weaves its way through mm-hmm. all of the performances I do on stages. I want people to be open to things. I think that, I think that really helps. I think there's something about the way you said it too, about be, just be open, right? That there's other possibilities out there takes away the pressure of, um, I, this is my possibility today. And now I have to do 180 and make a whole new possibility right. because that's, I think what shuts a lot of us down is we don't, we don't know what that new possibility is. And we don't know how to create it, but just saying like, just, just be open to it tomorrow. I just like, let it, let, let the curtain open just a little bit and yeah. see what's possible allows me to take the first step in a way of not like, Hey, tomorrow, jump off the ledge tomorrow. Right. And I like to jump off. I mean, you know me, like I'm all about leaping, but there's times where you're like, I'm not even sure what, what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a little bit of a trust factor, but I'm not, Mm. it's not trust. Like, Oh, I trust the universe is going to take care of me. It's like, no, I'm going to make sure I'm in a place where the people that I need to meet or the connections I need to make are possible. And I I just think, you know, get the right people around you. I I just find that writing and really connecting the dots between different things that have happened between, you know, like just really Mm -hmm. makes a difference. Um, I don't know. I, I love when I hear people tell me that what I'm doing is brave to them. I, I've heard that a lot more yeah. since I've done my show. Um, and even when I did my first stand up set, which was 2014, I, you know, it's, it's funny to hear people say that about me because there's no point in anything that I've done in my life where I have felt like, Oh, look at me. I'm so brave. <laughs> like I would never have said that about myself, but when other people mirror that back to you and it's like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess when I went backpacking around the world by myself at 24 years old, yeah, I guess that was brave at that time, but I didn't look at it like that. It was just, you know, I was afraid, but I did it anyway. And I think my whole life has been that, but I think everybody has those moments in their life. So it's just kind of like pick out those moments and remind yourself of those build on those and bring those into the situations that that you may be fearful about now and that's why i say it my show is a journey back to who i've always been right that little girl that created the musical in sixth grade who had no idea how to do it no experience but i just wanted to be annie <laughs> you know you were so gonna I, make it happen I figured out a way to make it happen and that really is the theme of my life. Like I I find a way and I make it happen. And I had no idea how to do it. And I did it anyway. And I had no idea how to, you know, travel around the world by myself. And I had no idea how to start a business. And I had no idea how to build a secret seller. And I had no idea how to write a one woman show. And I did all of those things. So now I've disappeared that story for myself. Like there's too many examples of, well, I did it. I didn't know how, and I did it anyway. Yeah. And so- if sharing that, like, it would be really, so here's my biggest hang up tomorrow is I literally, every time I think about performing, I read my script and I rehearse my show every single day. Mm-hmm. And literally 
every time I read my own script, my first thought is, who the hell cares one bit about my life story? Like, who the fuck do I think I am? And and then I perform it for people and they're like, wow, I'm so glad I saw that. Like that opened up something for me. And I just have to keep releasing that and just reminding myself, my show is, my life is no longer about me. It's about everybody in my audience getting what they needed to get. There is a reason that everybody who has seen my show has found themselves in that audience. And they all walk out with something making them feel a little bit brave about their own life and that's that i'm here to serve that's my purpose we're gonna end on that because that was like a mic drop moment (laughs) i might have to move with that entire last section up to like the trailer part because (laughs) oh okay merit this has been i love being in your secret cellar i i can't even emphasize we're gonna take (laughs) some pictures too because this is so good but i really um i've known you for a long time and i've known most of your story and today i feel like i learned a whole nother layer of you and I think the world will as well and to your point it, it's really not about you it's not about me it's about what people get out of it and what it empowers hopefully them to do or think about in their own lives so thank you well thank you so much for having me